Hello and welcome to Think About Eurovision, a Eurovision podcast with me, Chris, a Eurovision fanatic from the UK. And me, Kim, a Eurovision newbie from Canada. Today we're going to be discussing the 2017 Eurovision Song Contest from Kiev in Ukraine. But before we get to that, I need to issue a correction. Um, last week when we did our D- D- DNQ file episode, I got my, co- my not my countries, but I got my years mixed up. I said I really hated the 2017 song for UK. And I've got to apologise um, to Lucy Jones. I don't hate your song. We'll get to that later. No, the song was really good. So I was like, <laughs> what is Chris talking about? I, <laughs> like, I we clearly it... don't have the same tastes at all. <laughs> no, I was getting it mixed up with the 2017. 20- 2016 song from joe and jake you're not alone so that's confusion on my part so whoops i want to issue that correction and apology to uh, lucy jones you can't get every single stat right every time chris and you are a wealth of knowledge but i i always put you on the spot (laughs) chris i'm gonna test your knowledge with every single podcast that we do so the listeners don't know how many times i have to pause the recording and edit like chunks of me going quickly on wikipedia (laughs) or google out we shouldn't admit that we should just like let the editing do the magic yeah i'm a genius i know every single fact and figure of a back just 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 i just know it all Never do I have to look at the internet for any information. I'm glad to hear that this uh, was not the song you were referring to because the UK delivered in 2017. I really liked that song. But of course, we will get into all of the 2017 songs uh, when we talk about the the final. So like, how what did you think, Chris, of this final? I enjoy the 2017 contest. It's not one of my absolute all time favorites. Okay. I've got to be honest. It It is my absolute all-time favorite <laughs> of the ones I have seen so far. This one is my favorite for sure. Uh, is there anything in particular or is it just the songs overall? Yeah, I guess there were several things. Like, I really liked the songs. Uh, there were many songs that I enjoyed, but I did have a clear front runner of my preference. And I have made a prediction about that one we'll get to. Uh, okay, We will see if you're correct. Um, But then I also, I loved the stage and setup. I thought that the Eurovision-ness of the, you know, like, I don't know, the special effects, the lights, the, you know, the drama, it was all there, which I really loved. Um, I thought the hosts were cheesy as they always are, but cheesy in a way that was very endearing. I really liked the hosts compared to the other ones I've seen. Um... I don't know. I just like, I loved the halftime performances, not all of them, but most. Um, I thought that the postcards were fun. You know, they actually featured the artists. Like, I just liked it. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I I did like the postcards that, I do like the postcards that feature the performers much more than uh, the ones that don't. Um, Talking about uh, ones that don't. So Azerbaijan uh, contest that we discussed, and they were basically just tourist adverts. Yeah. I was looking up today about the um, adverts, not the adverts, sorry, the uh, postcards for the 2017 contest. And there is actually a theme in the um, Azerbaijan contest um, postcards that links them to the country. But I didn't know that because it's not obvious. So mm. like when it sh- it would show something about their country that also linked 
to the country who was coming up next. So for France, they said, you know, it was like city of food or land of food because French has a history of culinary arts. And for Russia, I think it had um, chess because apparently Russia is linked to chess. I don't know enough about chess to know if that's real. But apparently that's the link (laughs) for the Azerbaijan contest. So there we go. Interesting. There, there was there it wasn't go. just tourism adverts. It just looked like it. <laughs> yes. Okay. Good to know. Uh, that went over my head a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but so this um so this contest you enjoyed. It wasn't your absolute favorite, but you didn't oh, actively no, dislike no, this nothing, one, like the one that we saw from the eighty. No, nothing to actively dislike. It's just not my absolute favorite. One thing I do want to pick up on when we're talking about the um, whole contest as a whole i love that it's uh, their slogan is celebrate diversity and now our free hosts yes. free white men so diverse right <laughs> i mean i lo- i do love the uh, i love the theme but you're right they did not actually <laughs> have much diversity in their no. in their hosting um as endearing as i found them that is very true uh but yeah i mean overall I thought it was a really fun contest. There were a few things that I wanted to discuss about how this contest is different from some of the other ones that we have um, looked at so far, particularly in the voting. But we can get to that once we once we talk through yeah. the songs. So let's talk favorites and not so okay. favorite. Right. So let so we get my prediction out of the way. Right. Okay. I think that your favorite is Naviband. What country is that? <laughs> Belarus, Naviband, the story of my life. I knew that that was going to be the one that you picked for what? me, but it was not my no. favorite. No. I had that at number oh my nine. God. I know. I knew that you were going to pick that one, though, because I, you know what? It's definitely on brand for me. It is a duo. It, it, it like mooning at each other. The kiss at the end was like. I mean, it wasn't that uh, 1957 kiss, but. No. It was still a bit was much. A little cringe. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I had a feeling that you were going to pick that one for me, but although I thought it was very cute, it was not my favorite. Um, my favorite was not very original, but it was far and away. Portugal was my favorite song. That is a great song. Um, it was incredible. I loved it. I, I, I almost cried at the end when he was singing with his sister. Like I was in a very like romantic, emotional song. I could picture it in like an Audrey Hepburn movie. It was just gorgeous. Um, so can I guess what your favorite was? Go on. Go for it. Okay. I am terrible at these types of games. I... I feel like my chances of actually being right are pretty slim. But I think that you're, you kind of like go for either sort of the fun pop, poppy songs, or you go for sort of like the more rocky stuff. So um, on the pop end, I thought it was either a Moldova or Greece, or it's like complete opposite end of the spectrum and it's Ukraine. <laughs> you're completely wrong. Oh no! <laughs> but I, I gotta say, Moldova. I mean, I'll come to Moldova. Moldova is my favorite country to have never won Eurovision at Eurovision. I but loved I, their Moldova song this year. Just, I, I love every act they sent. And no, don't get me wrong, um, "Hey Mama" by Sunstroke Project was number three for me. But my number one, "Joust" grabbed the moment from Norway. Oh really? Yeah. Norway, who historically has done so poorly. 
Um, I actually thought that this was a really good song by Norway, too. They didn't make my top 10, but they were just just barely edged out. I actually had a lot of songs that I was like grappling with on the top 10. So I had like a clear favorite and I had ones that I clearly didn't like, but a lot that I liked just enough that I was like, I don't know, does, you know, is this number four or is this number five? I don't know. It was like, there were some really good songs and I really liked Norway as well. Yeah. Right. So we go a little bit more in depth on the songs then. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, so, I mean, let's start with Portugal. Uh, Salvador Sobral, Amar Pelos Dois. I think that's the pronunciation. Okay. I don't speak Portuguese. No. Um, so the translation is, uh, to love the both of us. Um, I mean, I, I love that song. It is in my um, top, uh, where did I put it? Top, I, I gave it fourth position. I really love it. Just yeah. some more bouncy in-your-face pop numbers just got there in front of him, uh, which Salvador would not appreciate. (laughs) No. What did you think about his comments when he won about fast food music and this is a win for real music? Um, There was a bit of controversy about that because, um, yeah, one of the uh, the, the Swedish um, act wasn't happy, I believe. I've read that he wasn't happy. Um, And it's just like, don't... uh, he can have those opinions. Obviously, everyone's allowed to have opinions. But I think using your um, your, your victory speech to kind of go, well, all your music's rubbish because I don't like it. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Is a bit of a jerk move. I agree. I thought that his performance was beautiful. I thought his song was beautiful. I was very happy that he won. But then, I mean, he kind of like came across to me as a bit of a... Uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? He was like snob, the quintess, the quintessential snobby artist, where he considers himself to be a real artist, and those who do like pop music or less, I don't know, prestigious music, in his opinion, are not real artists. They're these fast food musicians or whatever. But and it's like, who are you, guy, to like decide what's real music and what isn't? I mean, not everything has to be that deep. Like sometimes you just want to song that slaps and like i'm glad he won but i didn't i didn't feel like those comments were appropriate either no um i'm not going to spoil who wins i know it's gonna be a while till we uh, come to that year but the following year he had to hand the award to a total i mean i love the song that won the following year <laughs> a total fast food pop song <laughs> oh, oh, oh that was so good and, yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i did love i i loved his performance with his sister i thought that it was so fun i mean he seems like someone who like doesn't give a crap about the rules he, he just doesn't. does what he wants i mean so, talking about rule breaking he i mean i like this about him bit of controversy when he um showed up to the contest um and had and attended the uh, con- one of the press conferences he was wearing an SOS refugees uh, jumper which okay. was deemed a political message by the EBU right um but he didn't really care and even in his in his victory press conference he was like you know refugees are people they're not migrants they're fleeing death yeah so i do like that about him and i do yeah. like that he doesn't care about who he upsets and off- or offends with what he has to say Right. So, I mean, yeah, good for him for having this huge platform with a huge audience and um, taking advantage to 
you know, to send the the message that he felt rightfully so was a very important message to send. But yeah, like I did get that uh, impression of him that like he just does what he wants and, you know, like like a quintessential you know, kind of eccentric artist is where is is what he came across to me. But anyway, so he pulls his sister up on stage for his final performance. And my God, the voice on her, she's a better singer than he was. But the the two of them together, gorgeous. So she actually stood in for him at the the, uh, dress rehearsals because he was actually, he was only in um, Ukraine for a week for the contest because he he has a heart condition. And his doctors were like, we, we, we don't know if we want you there for the full period. And they had mm, to do some tests and other stuff. So the EBU actually let her stand in for him at some of the rehearsals. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly she's got a voice on her as well. And um, I, I'm happy for her that she got this, uh, you know, opportunity to showcase it in probably the biggest you know song contest the biggest audience in the world so so good good for him for breaking the rules to bring her up and whatever i really loved it i thought that that was a great moment you know sort of like controversial comments uh aside i'm very happy with this winner and performance one of my absolute favorites i think it even beats the netherlands in 2014 for me i wow. think that this is my favorite song yeah And it was a lot of Europe's favorite song because it has the highest ever score for Eurovision. Ever. Oh, you're kidding. Interesting. Uh, By a a massive sort of uh, distance as well. I mean, so for example, the, um, they got, that song got 758 points. Now, I appreciate that with this voting format, we've got the split of the televote and the jury vote, which we'll come to later. Yeah. So there are more points to be awarded. However, the year before, the winning song from the year before got 534. Mm. In the same voting format. In the same voting format. And the songs in the last two years got somewhere between 500 and 600 points. Yeah. And under the old um, point awards format, he would have scored um, 417 points, being the first ever song to ever, ever exceed 400 points. Wow. So, I mean, I, I don't understand how it won in a way because it's so against what I've expected for Eurovision winners for the last decade. Mm. And it's kind of grabbed onto something and Europe fell in love with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely something to be said for all of the Eurovision camp that we have come to know and love. Um, But you can't argue with just a really great song either. So this was much more understated than a lot of the um, performances that we saw. And I love to see all of the drama of the effects and like the fire and the wind machines. But like, you know, this song didn't really need it because the song sort of spoke for itself and it wasn't the type of song that required a big spectacle. Like when you've got a big pop song going, you love to see the special effects and stuff like that. But this was more quiet. It had this like nature background on the screen that was very appropriate, I thought. And it was, I mean, it was just a beautiful song that you can't, you can't really argue with. Now, did you recognize that song or Salvador Sobral? No. Because you've seen him in the How? Eurovision when? film. You know, in that scene really? in the Eurovision movie where they're hiring the uh, Segways, they're on the Segways yes. around Edinburgh, and yeah. they stop for the busker. Oh, yeah. That's Salvador Sobral singing this song. 
Oh, I have to go back and rewatch. <laughs> Man, the Easter eggs for yeah. Eurovision fans when watching that movie, I think, is so fun. It would have been fun to experiencing the watching of the movie if I had known, like, <laughs> anything about Eurovision at the time. But I, I, that's one thing that always surprised me about that film. I didn't think Salvador Sobral would appreciate that kind of humor. Right. He seems to like hoity toyed. But there he was in the film. But he there was he doing was. it very straight. He wasn't doing comedy role. So maybe he was like, you can have my song in it, but I want to be seen as a serious artist, maybe. Who knows? Right, yeah. <laughs> like, he wasn't, like, singing in the mansion during the party in the big, like, song off. That I would pay money to see. <laughs> oh, my God, so funny. Okay, so let's move on from uh, from Portugal. So why don't we talk about, like, you know, some of the ones that made up your 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 top handful of songs. Yeah, so... Obviously, I've already said uh, Joust, the Nor- Nor- Norway song, um, Joust, Grab the Moment. Um, that song, I mean, it's such a good pop song. It's a it's a proper banger. And that song wasn't written for Eurovision. And I think that shows. Um, oh, really? So was this, you know, this was a song. It, it couldn't have been released prior to Eurovision, but it was a song that was written just to be like a pop song on the radio. Exactly. That was the exact intention for it. It met all the rules and criteria, but it, what happens a lot of the time is countries send songwriters to what's called songwriting camps. Very mm. often in Sweden, because Sweden has a history of winning it lots of times. Not as many times as Ireland, but I think they're the second in the leaderboard behind Ireland, I think Sweden. Really? Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, so the Irish entry for what was going to be the contest this year and is is representing Ireland next year, recently posted she was in Sweden with some of the Eurovision artists and songwriters at songwriting camp. And unfortunately, I find the songs that come through the songwriting camps sometimes as a soulless. I mean, Salvador would hate it. Is it fast food music? It is. And it's like, it's like (laughs) they go for, they they, they look at like what's won before and basically churn out a song that sounds like the last year's song a lot of the time. It feels like like they're following a formula and you can tell, right? Exactly, it's yeah. like, yeah, I, I absolutely get what you're saying there. It's like they're doing a paint by numbers songwriting of what they think is going to win. And then you just end up with something that's basic and sounds like another song and nothing. It has no heart. Yeah. And that's one of the UK's biggest problems at Eurovision. The UK has a bit of a habit of looking at what won last year and sending a subpar quality of it, uh, version mm. of it. Um, and it, I mean, the year before, um, in 2016, a, actually, no, 2016, um, like a powerful, uh, ballad one. And then you had a ballad again, 2017. And then as I say, 2018 is won by this ridiculous pop song. Right. So a lot of the time, what won the following year, what won the last year is miles apart from what wins the following year, I find. Yeah, I think that that, I mean, I think that that is often the case with um, these types of like voting shows and stuff I've noticed, or even, you know, judging, judging shows, even stuff, I mean, like, um, like Project Runway, you know, those types of shows where um, you don't often see a designer win with the same aesthetic year after year, because, you know, people get tired of the same old thing. They're, they like you know, when things are different, you see something fresh, it's it piques your interest in a new way. And so I think that it's, uh, 
probably to be expected that you're not going to see the same type of song win every single year. No. Then it would be boring. Exactly. And um, I mean, like Drag Race, obviously, we're big fans of when we had Evie Oddly one year and then we had mm-hmm. Jay Resonance Hall the following year. So we've gone from like a freaky deaky queen to someone who who's proven themselves capable of doing comedy. Look over there and all that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> they were like a pageant queen. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of contests like that kind of go between, you know, uh, different styles as a winning person or winning whatever. Yeah. Because like, let's face it, if, if Eurovision only had ballads that won, then like we would get to a point where every single country would only send a ballad. And then it would just be boring. You would just be listening to 26 ballads every yeah. single year. You know, like you got to keep it fresh. You got to mix it up. I love one of the things I love most about Eurovision, the ones that I've seen, is that you always get to see something new and unexpected and um and fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, I, I think those songwriting camps, they don't turn, churn out the best quality songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure sometimes they do churn out some really good ones, but, you know, even a stop clock tells the right time twice a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Norway did not go to a songwriting camp and no. did much better than they have in any of the other contests I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, it was really well. I mean, 10th place, that's the left-hand side of the leaderboard. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Um now, Joust actually wanted to represent the UK, or at least write the song for the UK, because we are so bad at winning lately. Right. <laughs> we do so badly. He offered the BBC, I will write you a song. And he was like, I don't think he could promise it, be on the left-hand side as a finisher. But he was like, let me write you a really good song for your artist. And let's take this to Eurovision. BBC had n- no interest in it. It's like, dude, he's, he's proven himself ri- of, of capable of writing a really good song. Right. But as well at Eurovision. And I mean, I think that was the year we sent, um, I can't remember, it might have been the year we sent Surrey um, for the following year, or it might have been 2019. I can't remember which year it was he wanted to write for. But it was a whole like uh, Joust X UK kind of thing trending on Twitter. Uh, But no, the BBC didn't take him upon it. Too bad. But uh, this is one where I was mentioning last week about the pre-recorded vocals. Mm. So where um, the uh, vocalist, um, Alexander Wallman, had like, you know, Joust had sampled his vocals and split it into the music track. And they got special permission from the EBU because it counted for that year as pre-recorded vocals. Now, I believe the rules have actually changed now. So if it's, you know, vocals that have been chopped and sampled, I think it is now permitted without any sort of special request from the EBU. I think that if it's not a sound that can be replicated with your live human voice, like if it has been sort of, uh, I don't know, like synthesized and edited to the point that you're not even capable of reproducing it without the help of, I don't know, like all the technology that was used to produce the sample, then like, just let them use it. Yeah. Which it sounds like they can now. Yeah. Um, So I approve of this rule. (laughs) It has your seal of approval. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, yes, we've got Kim's seal of approval. (laughs) Um, Okay, perfect. So so what else other than uh, your top, which was Norway, what else did you have near the top of the pack? Um, So my second favourite was the bookie's favourite before the um, show went on, and that was Italy. Uh, Francesco Gabbani, Occidentalis Karma. 
Oh, nice. I really liked it. You like that one. I really liked it as well. I did put it middle of the pack. It didn't make my top uh, top 10, but it was near the higher end of the middle. I thought it was really fun. It um, it was just like a joyful performance. I thought the ape suit was hilarious. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. It didn't have like the, the same emotional impact for me as some of the, I did put ballads near the top as I did last time too. Um, but, uh, but I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the song Occidentalis Karma translates into Westerners Karma. And it's um, Francesco uh, poking fun at Westerners' habits of trying to basically appropriate Eastern culture. And, you know, saying right. that they're spiritual. It's like, that's not your thing, you know, and you're just using it to make yourself look better. And, he, you know, he says that internet in the lyrics, I think he says, internet's the opiate of the poor, which is a reference to a Karl Marx quote about religion okay i'm not gonna lie this is a like a deeper song than i, <laughs> than I would have expected exactly just based on also, the performance that pop of the song. song you're like right he's probably just singing about monkeys i definitely thought i was like i don't know what these words are <laughs> but it's silly fun and then i mean it's got like marxist <laughs> like theory in it i'm like oh okay well um i wasn't expecting that but yeah that was a good song i enjoyed it yeah so he's talking about um the internet being the opiate of the poor, selfie addiction, uh, a society of conformists. It's a deeper song than you would expect from a pop tune. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, and I think the uh, fact he's got the gorilla is there because of um, the naked ape. I think it's a reference to the naked ape, I believe, which I will pop some more information on the show notes because I'm not cultured enough to know about the naked ape as a sort of theory. But basically, you know, humans were naked apes, basically, I think is the whole thing behind. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just waffling at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, it's clear, clearly I need to do some work to fully, you know, understand and appreciate everything this song had to offer. Because yeah. I was just like, mm, gorilla suit. I'm going to bop to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Okay. I mean, putting aside the lyrics in Italian, one of the reasons I love it is just because it is so upbeat i love the dance because i'm not a very good dancer so anything that is basically <laughs> moving your arms and lifting one leg i mean for the listener i actually just did might move my arms and i was like this is a podcast nobody can see that <laughs> this um, is an audio uh medium but i will say to the listeners out there that yes the dancing was happening <laughs> yeah so so um sort of moving to the arms r- raising a leg every now and then that's my level of dance. Yeah. <laughs> Not too involved. Fair. Um, and, and and who doesn't love somebody in a gorilla costume? No one. Everyone loves a gorilla costume. So when I was rewatching, I was like, I was thinking, rewatching it, thinking, what are we going to call this episode? And then I got to that, I was like, obviously it's going to be the one with the dancing gorilla. <laughs> I think that that is perfectly appropriate. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's Italy song, and then my third place song, as I said before, my favourite country in Eurovision to have never won the Eurovision Song Contest, Moldova Sunstroke Project with Hey Mama. I loved it. Speaking of dancing, I loved their like, like clopping horse move, like the galloping oh, yeah. horse move, and then uh, of course the epic sax man. Yeah, epic sax guy. Uh, epic sax guy and i i can't believe you went because the epic sax guy meme has transcended uh eurovision 
It's I've a never general seen part it. Of, of internet culture. So this is the second time that Sunstroke Project have represented Moldova in Eurovision. And when was the first? So that was in uh, 2010's contest. So there was this uh, dance that uh, the uh, Epic Sax guy, I know he's got a name, but I'm going to call him Epic Sax guy because I can't remember his name. Uh, he was basically just thrusting with his uh, saxophone. As you do. As you do, yep. Um, and that got sort of turned into a, a gif, which we've already discussed the pronunciation of before. Um, and it just went around the internet and people would make like websites of just epic sax guy, you know, just thrusting. <laughs> and put like epic sax guy thrusting over any song with saxophone in it. And uh, did they do well in 2010? Uh, they didn't do too badly, no. Um, a few moments later. Uh, no, um, I've just come back from having a quick look, so I couldn't remember. Um, I mean, they didn't do badly because they got to the final, but they came 22nd in the final. Oh, man. But they came in third this time. So, like, epic sax guy is going to come back in, like, 2025 and win it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and interesting thing, I, I mean, interesting to me, is Epic Sax Guy set, shares the same birthday as me, 3rd of September. I found it out the other, um, a few weeks back. I was like, that's Twinsies. so cool. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, that like like you said, dance moves that are easy to follow, just stomping your foot. I, I, I can do a bit <laughs> of stomping my foot. Um, you should get a, get a sax, even if it's just like a plastic one, and do the whole, the whole jam. I know that you have reenacted... Eurovision performances in the past. I would love to see your version of Epic Sax Guy. Yes, I have, haven't I? <laughs> a takeaway, a Halloween idea, maybe. <laughs> um, so our uh, our top three are very different. Um, so my top one is Portugal, which we've already discussed. And in a trend that is really kind of continuing, that my... Top is the same, but other ones in my top are, they they did so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so my number two was Poland. Poland. Poland came in 22nd. I loved this ballad. It was very understated. It didn't have a lot of the um, special effects and stuff that some of the other performances had, but I loved this performer's voice. I thought the song was excellent. I I really liked this. I don't know why I did so badly. I've got a feeling that um, no song has ever won Eurovision from the second position in the running lineup, in the running order. Really? I think that's like a cursed number. Interesting. Yeah, I, it's just one of those, um, I'm not going to go away and Google it. I'm going to just let that be out there in the open. Because it's so, just one of those things that's in my like, head. I'm like, I'm sure there's a fact that, that no song has ever won Eurovision from being the second song to perform. As a uh, superstition, then, I'm sure that the performers, the performers never want to draw second second position. No, I mean, I wouldn't really want to be in the first half, in all honesty, unless I had some standout no. song. Because you've Fair got enough. 25, 26 songs. There's a lot of people to come after you and people are going to forget about you. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in this case, maybe they did forget because I thought that Poland was an excellent song and it did very badly. And then the uh, my third place was Armenia and they came 18th. 
I loved this. I don't I loved the um the choreography. They were like voguing, but it was, you know, better. It, I don't know. I like couldn't take my eyes off it. I thought it was a really interesting, beautiful performance. I thought the singing was great. I loved the song and it did 18th. So I don't know. My taste is all over the map, apparently. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Poland song, um, I didn't enjoy. Uh, no. I found some of the uh, pronunciations of the words weird. And I've got a, it really triggered a pet hate for me. And that's. I don't particularly like rhyming words in songs, and especially when oh. you don't when you have th- three rhymes after each other. So we had hire, wire, and desire. Uh, <laughs> no, I just don't like that. Interesting. Okay, that I, I, I didn't mind that. <laughs> but, I, mean, I didn't hate it. I just that th- that just kind of put me on edge. I'm like, no. I don't care for that. We have established, though, that I never listened to the lyrics, so <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice. Um, an Armenia song, um, Artsvik, Fly With Me. Um, one thing, I, one of the notes I put down there, it was amazing vocal control. Yes, I thought it was so good. Yeah. Um, but I actually agreed with the um, general public and the juries. I put it 18th. Oh, did yeah. you? Interesting. Yeah, I um I apparently have uh, have tastes that are I don't know inconsistent because uh, I I this always happens to me is that the top spot is usually pretty in line. Um, I have several uh, in in line with the top ten. Uh, so not in the exact same position in some cases, but six of my top ten were also in the actual results top ten. So and then the four. Sorry? I was going to say, which six in your top 10 did you have uh, that were also in the top 10? So Portugal, Moldova, Sweden, Belgium, Bulgaria, and Australia were all in my top 10. And they also were in the um, actual results. And my remaining four were Poland, Armenia, United Kingdom, and Belarus. Uh, all of which did sort of on the lower mid, mid-range. So uh, I guess... You can't pinpoint my taste. No. Shall we talk about our bottoms before we come to like the big five and the host country and any other songs you want to touch yes. on? So what, what did you have at the bottom? Ukraine. Ukraine. I didn't like it. I know that, you know, uh, rock songs, I think we have talked about this already, is that like they're, um, I don't know. They're not common in Eurovision, and we listened to one in our Does Not Qualify um, files that we thought, you know, would have been a great addition to mix it up and add more rock into Eurovision. But in this case, uh, this was just not a rock song that appealed to my taste. This is, I think this is the old classic of the host country saying, we can't afford to do this again for a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> We can't have it two years in a row, so we're going to tank this yeah. one. I mean, for me, I half like that song. I only half like it because mm. the chorus, I think the chorus absolutely slaps. It reminds me of Muse. So it's very sort of Muse, kind of industrial rock. The chorus, I can hum in my head right now. I'm not going to uh, torture people by humming out loud because <laughs> I don't really know the lyrics and that never sounds good if someone's going... Blah, 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 blah. But... The chorus slaps, the verse, I can't remember how that goes. And you've got to have a good all-round song. You can't just have a really good chorus. 
Yes, that's very true. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think if that that wasn't a automatic qualifier, I think it would have not made it past the semi-finals. Yeah, I I I would agree. I mean, I haven't listened to <laughs> the semifinals, so I haven't watched the semifinals, so I you know I can't say definitively. But yeah, I didn't I didn't like this no. one. What was what was your bottom song? Um, I was in line with the general public. Spain. Spain. Oh, I mean, what what I find interesting though is he got, f- um, how many points? Five points only on the televote, which is bad. When you yeah. get zero points from the jury. Now, one thing to bear in mind though: the jury watch a di- watch and vote on a different performance. So they're not voting on the same performance as the televote. They they voted on one of the um. They made their their, their votes while from watching one of the rehearsals the day before. What? Yeah. So okay, I, I don't like that. Yeah. So it's. I think it's just so they've got like in case of anything goes spectacularly wrong, you know the points are split. I think this some make it a bit fairer. So for example, okay. um, one of our entries had a stage invader. Um, um, and I think I've mentioned this, haven't I, before in a podcast? I feel like I've mentioned it before. Yes, I think you yeah. might have. So she might have done badly with the televote who saw the stage invader. Right. And not choose to perform again. But at least she had a set of scores that was based just on the song and the song quality from the jury. I think that's kind of the way it's kind of meant to work. But it okay. makes me wonder because... The thing that I remember about Spain, other than it being a boring, repetitive, repetitive song with like a Spanish McFly knockoff, that mm. bad note. Do you remember the one where he tries to hit oh. it? Oh, yes. There was like, I actually liked the song. I would have scored it pretty low regardless, even if it weren't for that note, because it wasn't, I don't know, it it wasn't um, at the same caliber as the other it entries. So either way, I would have scored it low. But I did, I was thinking like, this is super fun, sort of beach vibes, maybe not at the same level, but I'm enjoying this. And then my notes go like all caps, like, oh no, <laughs> that note, it was, that was bad. Um, and I think that like, you could tell the rest of the performance like he knew he knew <laughs> it was he, bad he seemed like a little bashful and the, I felt bad for him a little bit because that was pretty bad yeah he uh, did not hit the note as intended no <laughs> no okay so you were in line with the uh with the with the voting yeah then. and on mine was not very far not very far no. off. Spain. I, I I voted Spain quite low, and Ukraine, my bottom, was 24th in the actual voting. So we were both pretty close there. Yeah, there was one place we're not close at all. What's that? My song I put in second to last place. It's in your top 10. <gasps> what one? Sweden. Oh, really? Oh, I, I thought you would have loved that one. I, re- I, I, I really don't like it. It came across... I, I think it's a, the song... On its own, I don't hate, but that performance just filled me with hatred. I really wait. Are we talking about the same? Are we talking about the same thing yep, here? Yeah, where they had the um, uh, the things that people had walk run on in gyms. What the treadmill, treadmill yeah, things? Treadmill, I couldn't think what they're called. It was like a bunch of dude bros. 
Okay, Chris, I literally wrote, the treadmill is my favorite prop that I have seen in Eurovision so far. I loved it. I've got no problem with the treadmills themselves. And (laughs) if the artist and his dancers came across less douchey, I'd probably lap it up. But they look like a bunch of lads going out on town to meet some girls to bring back to their places. And it just made me really uncomfortable. I didn't like it. Really? I really didn't like it. They just... Okay, I didn't. I I definitely, I think I see what you're talking about. They had some like cocky douche vibes. But I mean, I feel like a lot, personally, I feel like a lot of like boy band style performers have that, you know, kind of cringy swagger that it's all part of the package for me. I didn't find it significantly different than, you know, uh, I don't know, what was one of the other sort of boy band style, like Cyprus, yeah. for instance. You know, I didn't find it significantly different than the type of swagger than any of those boy band style performances have. I didn't, yeah, I didn't really get it. But I see, I think I see what you're um, not loving yeah, about it. There was too much doing the okay hand gesture as well. I think I don't get why they were constantly doing it. I don't know. Uh, it was, <laughs> I don't and know. I was looking up, looking up, like thinking, thinking, you know, I, I feel like has it got like a set, a different meaning other than I'm okay. And there is one thing that came up, and that, and this might be why it made made me so uneasy. But it's probably just a coincidence. In 2017, um, some of the trolls on 4chan decided to start a campaign and a hoax to suggest that the OK sign is a white power sign. And it has now been co-opted by white nationalists. And I wonder if there's something in the back of my brain that's going, that's a white power sign. I'm not OK with that. And I don't know what it is. I don't think, although, I mean, like, oh, now we're getting deep into the And I just want to, I just want to add, I'm not suggesting for one moment that he was using the white power <laughs> sign. I'm just saying that maybe it's my idiot monkey brain going, you've read this story, you've, you're aware that white nationalists are now using it as a white power sign. This symbol makes you uneasy. Maybe it's just that. Oh, okay, so I feel like this is a series of like unfortunate coincidences, but I also put in my notes that the hosts when they were introducing like the the um I don't know what do you call it is he like the president of Eurovision he's the jo- you know jo- jo- man jo- in sounds, charge yes and they called him the grand wizard which I didn't is pick up what on that. the KKK oh, no. calls the I was like oh god never and they were making a joke that they were saying like he's the Gandalf of of like Eurovision I don't know it was weird but I was like don't call someone a grand wizard ever but I do think that like this was um I mean, these were a couple of unfortunate coincidences that I don't think was was intentionally giving a nod to the white supremacist movement. <laughs> I would hope not anyway. My mind did not go there on that performance, but it definitely I have a note that I was like, woof, that was a poor choice of compliment when they called him the Grand Wizard of Eurovision. There is one other bit about that song I didn't like, and that is the... A lot of him saying freaking, because obviously it wasn't always freaking there in the lyrics. Sure, yeah. Um, but I just don't like, I mean, you you know me, I don't swear much. Um, right. And I don't like. I swear a lot. <laughs> I don't like swear words in songs. 
I, yeah, I guess I think that we just have, uh, we have different, you know, points of our nitpickiness because that, yeah, that didn't, it didn't bother me at all. And even if it had been like the word and not freaking, like I, that wouldn't have bothered yeah. me either. But that's what I mean, like to each their own yeah. different tastes. For, for right? me, it's just like, oh, that's a filler word. You've, you've run out of ideas. That's how I see it. That's <laughs> why I don't like swear words in songs. It's like, could you not afford something more interesting? Um, yeah, I did not. I didn't have that particular pet peeve. But I did I did notice uh, that I have developed my own Eurovision pet peeve that um, I that I commented on. And that as I'm watching more Eurovisions, this is becoming something that I'm like looking out for that kind of annoys me, which is that if you're going to mime playing an instrument, then like see it through. Don't like mime playing it for a minute or like a couple of minutes and then stop miming while the instrument is still playing in the audio. You mean like <laughs> standing inside of stupid. a circular piano? Correct. <laughs> uh, so uh, so that was something that I noted for, uh, let me think, I can't think of which, I, I actually can't think of which performance that it was, but um, he was like, um miming the playing of a percussion instrument and then he stopped was that miming Yossi Papai um um uh, hungry. hungry it was yeah, hungry yeah Yossi Papai when yes, he was exactly. playing his yeah. urn or something <laughs> right yeah and then he stopped and so he was playing it like you know for quite a while but then stopped playing it but the sound was still in the music that i was like eh, that just looks sloppy to me if you're gonna mime it mime it the whole way through or else don't mime it at yeah, all I mean, whilst we're on, on that song i really <laughs> like that song it was middle of the pack in the scores region for me but i do enjoy it the only thing i don't like about that is the rapping the rapping is very cringe oh but all the, the, I the only thing i liked about that song was the rapping. i like the more <laughs> traditional sounds uh, Dino as well, right. he's the first uh, person of Roma descent to represent Hungary in Eurovision as well. Yes, um, so that was actually something that I that I uh, noted, uh, something that I liked, which was that um, that uh, very interesting fact and some of other interesting facts were ones that were given to us sort of during the halftime yeah. moments by one of the hosts. And I preferred that significantly to the awkward interactions with the performers that we usually have on other Eurovisions. Like he sort of went to various performers, told us little factoids about it and said a hello to them, but didn't do this awkward interview style thing no that cakes, no I really don't like. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that even though I don't think that it's possible to be a Eurovision host without being a little bit cheesy and hokey. It is. Um, I promise you it is. Yeah. It's like, I've, I don't know, but I, def I definitely preferred this uh, than uh, some of the other styles that we've seen so far. And they were interesting facts. This was an interesting one. And also, also kind of um, kept on a theme about celebrating diversity. That's very true. And uh, Belarus, uh, I think, was they sang in their native language the, for the first time. They did, and they, in... they addressed that in the show as well, didn't they? It was the first time uh, the song yes. been in Belarus. And then the other fact that he shared that I thought was really interesting, um, because I have noticed it myself, is that a lot of Eurovision performers choose to go barefoot. And um, that was just something that I noticed. I just, you know remarked on i was like yeah. huh you know it seems like there's a lot of performers who don't wear shoes uh, i think sandy and shaw one for the uk with puppets on a string 
Uh, I mean, I know she's won for the UK with Puppet on a str- String, but I'm pretty sure she, she was barefoot in that performance. Well, he said that there were five winning performances that were barefoot. Marine. And that was just like, it's just an interesting little factoid yeah. that I much preferred to an awkward cake eating interaction. Uh, so those that was like an example of why I preferred this uh, hosting. You know, I preferred this Eurovision to some of the others um, because I like these hosts more and the songs were good. It was just good. It was all around. Okay, But there were also some... You know, some interesting moments as well. Speaking of, uh, like, stage... What did you call it? Stage invaders. Yes, we had one of those and a bare butt. Yes, uh, so that was uh, during Jamala's um, performance. So Jamala won for the Ukraine uh, the, the year prior to this. Um, so we're going to have a, a big old gap before we get to that year. So hopefully you forget about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only problem with doing this podcast and not going just in chronological order. Sometimes you're okay. gonna have to. You're gonna end up knowing who's gonna win. Luckily, I have a very short memory. So, <laughs> so that stage invader, despite their Australian flag, was not Australian. They were actually a known oh. Ukrainian prankster. Oh really? Yes. I was like, that takes some balls to like to do that in front and, of two hundred million. And thankfully, people. you didn't see them. Oh, thank God! But I mean, I was very uh, impressed with. Uh, Jamala? Jamala, yeah. Jamala. I was very impressed that she was, like, unfazed. You know, she was an absolute professional. She, like, sees this guy come up and, you know, is, like, it's a very small stage uh, because they're not on the main stage. They're on sort of, like, a center one. Um, and he is mooning the camera and she just carries on and gave a, a very good performance that I enjoyed a lot. So good on her for being a consummate professional. So we've covered the uh, a few of the big five and the host country. Um, now you say you like U- UK song, Lucy Jones, Never Give Up On You. Yes, I liked it a lot. I had it at my number six spot. Samesies. What? Six as well, yeah. Finally, something in common. <laughs> um, I mean... You can tell that she's a really good vocalist. Um, when she was doing Eurovision, she'd just come off um, a UK tour of Rent uh, performing as Maureen. Oh. Yeah. And before when I was just, I was like double checking to make sure that was the case. So not just the fact I'd made up in my head and misremembered. Yeah. <laughs> I Googled and I found a, a video of her performing um, Take Me or Leave Me from uh, Rent. And wow, she nails it as Maureen. Wow, so, really? And the only thing is, though, I think, uh, I mean, that I think is the best song that the UK has sent in this decade. It's definitely the best that I have seen. Yes, yeah, I have um, had you watch some Howlers from, from the UK. <laughs> um, even though I will still defend Engelbert Humperdinck to my last breath. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I um I I'm not going down that path again. But you know how I feel about Engelbert Humperdinck. But the only reason I th- I, I think I liked it because it was very musical theatre. It was big emotions. Now, one criticism that was always leveled at her was her weird gesticulating. So a lot of and I'm gonna I see you looking at me confused. So I'm gonna there'll be a link to the sh- song in the show notes. But I'll I will <laughs> replicate it on the video screen so you can see me. <laughs> did a lot of that and a lot of holding a hand out into the camera 
and a lot of that and singing very powerfully at the camera. Now, I think that is because of her musical theatre background. She's used right. to performing on a stage where you've got to perform to the people in the back in the cheap seats. You need seats. to emote. Yeah. Emote for those in the cheap seats. And yeah. You, on TV, you need to bring it down a notch. And I think that is the one thing that people may have found uncomfortable and a bit unsettling. I didn't mind I, it. I didn't I, mind it I at all. It. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, if you're going to be camp anywhere, be camp at Eurovision. There's there's room for it there. I did notice, though, that in this Eurovision, unlike some that I had seen, there seemed to be an element of the performance that was for the, the television audience that um, was not uh, actually something that the live audience would have seen because it wasn't actually on stage. It was like a special effect that was added yeah. um, that only in the television audience that you could see. So there was like, there was some of that. She didn't do that. Yeah. She was, uh, you know, sort of a it more... It was like a mirrors and like shards, like, like shards yes, of mirror. exactly. Right. And I kind of prefer that. Um, you know, I say like, go big with the emotions, go camp with the performance. I like all of that. And I do like the sort of more uh, traditional, if you will, on stage presence rather than like holographics being added in post-production on or like, you know, on television screens only. I don't yeah, like that I'm as much. I'm not keen of uh, like the holographs that they've used before now. Um, it's like, yeah. oh, that's weird. And I'm I'm always curious to see what people at at the venue are seeing when it's like that. Right. It's like there's just like poets looking at me and what on earth's happening? There's yeah. one song and I can't remember if it's one we've done from a year we've done where the singer's performing into the camera and then they're hologrammed away and they're a different location on the stage and it's just really weird. Um, but I think I that's think, one we've not covered so. in the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, we agree on Lucy Jones of the UK. Yes, yes, we do. Um, so we've not discussed France yet or Germany. Okay, can I just say for France in particular, um, as much as we're talking about, you know, sort of being a bit over the top in, you know, emoting and spectacle and um, I don't know, like special effects, all of these things. And then you have France that did nothing like it was she was just standing on stage singing and there, you know, was absolutely nothing kind of special or extra no. about the performance at all. And in some cases, we've already talked about in Portugal, there wasn't much of that either. But I think that in that case, the song spoke for itself. Yeah. And in France, it would that it didn't. What? It was just it felt like very underwhelming. It to was. Me. And it was like the, the music was that of like a Latin sort of summer pop song. Yeah. She just yeah. stood there and sung it like it was a karaoke night. Right. I and like I don't like it too when there I I prefer it when there's a bit of a theme in terms of um the costuming um as well as the special effects. Like I like when it ties together in some way and she's just sort of wearing a cocktail dress. She's got like some Eiffel Tower special effects in the background and she's singing a song and the song wasn't anything special. It was it was a pretty underwhelming performance for me. I, I just I didn't actively dislike it the way I did some of my lower performers. I scored France pretty low, but not the lowest because I didn't actively dislike it. It was just kind of like, oh, this feels pretty half-assed. Uh, I just looked at the, my notes and I saw I I noted down. I don't think France wanted to win. <laughs> No, exactly. They could not have expected to win with it. Like they didn't put any effort they into didn't. it. Um, and there was controversy about France's song because, as you know, um, 
the song that a country sends uh, can't have been performed, or sorry, commercially released before September the 1st of a year preceding. So this case would have been September the 1st, 2016. However, this song was recorded and performed before then. There was footage of it being oh. performed in January 2015. How'd they get away with because it? Because it wasn't commercially released. That was the argument. Oh. Now, Eurovision actually never made an official ruling on it, but that was um, the fr- French broadcaster's argument. It was before she was with a label, and it wasn't seen by many people. So there is some argument to be had. Well, it didn't win anyway, I no. guess. But like, if it had been a winner, I mean, I think that, I think that it could have been argued that that's no bueno. Yes. Uh, now, last of the uh, big five, Germany. Germany, I scored quite yeah. well. Um, I thought that, uh, like, I think I've said this before that. I love a ballad if the ballad hits emotionally. But this was a ballad that had no heart, in my opinion. It just didn't like it. It was very blah. Yeah. Once again, uh, Big Five Country has sent a song that is just complete middle of a road beige. Audio beige. Yes. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. Beige. And so I think Spain, France, and... Um, Spain, France... And Germany and also the Ukraine, if they had to qualify from a semi-final, wouldn't have got through. I would like to think Lucy Jones would have got through in a semi-final. Yes. And I think that would have benefited the UK if she'd had that, you know, performance yes, beforehand. Yes, you said that before, an opportunity to have the more um, airplay yeah. of the song. And yeah. obviously, Italy was one of the favourites that was always going to qualify. So... Right, yes. Yeah, um... I, I, that's all the songs that I really want to touch on. The, there's other ones that are nice. There's, but there's nothing else that stands out as remarkable either way for me. Same. I think that 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 covers all of my loves and my hates. Yeah. <laughs> um. So one one thing that I did want to mention uh was the halftime performances. So there were. Three, right? Yes. There was the first one that was some Ukrainian pop star. She was wearing like the, you know, mesh chain metal dress. Yeah. So that was uh, uh, Rusla- I- Ruslana. So she won for the Ukraine back in 2004 with... Okay, well, I hated oh, that. Oh, that song sucked. That song sucked so, so hard. It was so bad. And we've already talked about um, Jamala and her performance, which I liked very much, and her uh, stage invader, which uh, was hilarious. She dealt with quite well. Um, Even though yeah, I don't, she dealt I don't with very like well. Jamala. And this is, Do I you don't not? like her. So I actually, because I, I remember the stage invader the first time around, and then when I was making my notes up, and I, I scribble things down first, and then I write them up neatly so I can actually read it. And I refer <laughs> to the internet for any more interesting facts and figures, things like that. And I was like, Stage Invader, I forgot about that. And I had to go back and rewatch it because I was just not paying attention when I was watching it first time <laughs> around because I, I just find Jamala's music bores me. And I'm going to get so much flack from Eurofans. Oh, no. Because people love Jamala. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Like, if that song had been a an entry in 2017 instead of, a, you know, from a past contest, I would have scored that very highly. Um, but the one I really want to talk about is the middle performance. Yes. I loved it so Same. much. That is definitely something I would love, like a, like a, like a 90 minutes to a two-hour show. 
you know, yes. a, a theatre, you know, I could imagine that performance, you know, on, you know, the theatres in Las Vegas, you know, yes. up there with like Blue Man Group, um, that sort of act, Cirque du Soleil's, all that. Yeah, the mix, the mix of like traditional instruments with this very modern sort of, you know, synthesizers and stuff like that. It was just so good. I enjoyed it immensely. I I would love to see yeah. that that performance so live. So that was um, Anuka um, and the National Academic Orchestra of Folk Instruments of Ukraine. Wow. Loved, loved, loved. Yeah, so um, they are, as you can tell, Anuka are a an, an electro-folk act and... That was just a great show. I would yes. quite happily yeah. um, have had three times of them performing over yeah. <laughs> Ruslana over and Jamala. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would, I would accept that too. I've got to say, Ruslana, her song she won with Wild Dances in 2004 is an absolute bop. It's a great song. Yeah. And that song okay. didn't hold a candle to it. Yeah, I did not like it it's at like, all. We're going to wheel out someone um, who won 12 years ago to sing something nowhere near as good as they won with. Right. Yeah, I didn't. Like, kind of a way. Just, I let's didn't just remember like it. How, how she used to be. <laughs> it's not how she wants us to rem- remember her. Now, the other sort of halftime thing that I really enjoyed and wanted to raise was this skit that the hosts did with the, um, I assume, was it Ireland from the year prior when the host from the year prior came oh, and like essentially gave them hosting boot that camp. That was uh, the host from um, Sweden the year prior, uh, Monsermelo. Sweden. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sweden, well, Ireland. I... Yeah. Similar countries. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I why mean, I thought Maybe Ireland. it's because Sweden and Ireland are both the countries we've done, had the most wins. I think, I think maybe it, it is. They said something about how it was like, uh, you know, um, uh, Eurovision, like royalty yeah. or something like that. Am I making all this up? I, w- um, I would say anyway, that Mont is Eurovision royalty. He now lives in London as well. He's very involved he? in Eurovision still. Yeah, he he. Um, Maybe you'll bump into him at some point. He represented um, Sweden as well, as well as hosties represented for them. Well, he like. You could tell that he was a big name. I wasn't familiar with him, but yeah. So I thought that this was really fun with him, you know, uh, coming in and giving this boot camp. And I thought it was really funny and endearing. And, you know, compared to some of the other sort of like halftime things, like time fillers, if you will, like this was definitely top of top of the pack in terms of my level of enjoyment. I thought it was great. I thought it was good, but he started going a bit too long. I think it could have been yeah, cut I a mean, little bit shorter. It, I guess it depends on how much time you need to fill. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could have done with less, but if that was the amount of time they needed to fill, I prefer to see this than some of the other options that, that we've seen in other, uh, like the, you know, 90 second building of a building that... that oh, it still, <laughs> still makes me sleepy thinking about it. I know. Yeah, that's terrible. But, but um, I thought that was really fun. Monsermelo, um he and his co-host from Sweden the year before, they're the living proof that a Eurovision host doesn't have to be awkward or really cheesy. Um, and okay, Petra good to know. also hosted Eurovision Song Contest on her own in Melmo. Uh, she's, I think, at least in this decade, the only one who's done it solo. Um, yeah. Oh, really? And okay, she well, held the show we'll come to those really tightly throughout on her own. So it doesn't even need like to nice. be a, And the good thing about hosting solo, you've not got awkwardness between hosts. The awkward banter is it's bad. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, okay. Well, good to know that it is in fact possible to host in a way that isn't awkward and cheesy. But I mean, I kind of like liked the cheesiness of these hosts. They were they were cheesy. Don't get me wrong, but they were endearing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then uh, then of course of course we come to a lengthy uh, judging portion of the evening. In my head, I remembered that with the change in the uh, points awards. Um, format it zipped along with just doing a 12 points but that dragged the it 12 really points did. things really dragged it's like come on guys you're only doing you know a third of the amount of points you got to award why is it taking just as long or longer yeah um and you know we've talked about it in the past that to a certain extent i like the judging i like the um you know suspense the build-up of it and whatever um but you know, I don't like that. It's 50% of the show. It just goes on too long, in my opinion. Yeah. And then to have two portions of voting, there's both the judges um, points and also the the phone in points. Um, I don't think it needs to be done separately. It drags it on too long. Although what I did find was very interesting was how different the points were awarded between the general public and the judging panels. They did not award the points to the same countries nope. at all really real difference so that's, that's one thing that the um di- the splitting the vote does give us it gives us you know countries near the top then getting like you know 12 points it's like what just happened and that's what i think is yes. enjoyable about this format now yeah i've so- got a feeling in the last year or maybe the last two years they changed it again so where they went from the smallest am- amount of points to the largest, I think it's now done on the country with the fewest jury points, gets their televote points first for even more I like drama. that better. Yes, I like that better. But we, so we have talked in the past about how it's anticlimactic when either A, they announce the winner before all of the points are actually awarded because they, the top uh, country has so many points that it's impossible for anyone else to win when as they did in 2014 which is anticlimactic don't like that um or two where essentially they continue to um announce the points even though there is a clear winner and that there is no way for anybody else to win and so it's less anticlimactic but you can still tell yeah. um but then in this one the way they did it what i liked about it is even portugal that was far and away the like highest country when it came to jury votes you could see when it panned to them that they did not know that they had won no. because yeah because they they had not yet been awarded their um you know, televotes yeah. and they had been bumped to second place uh, when I think it was, who was it? Bulgaria? Was Bulgaria who also had the youngest contestant. Oh, sorry. So there was the youngest contestant of that year and the first ever contestant to have been born in this millennium. Just to make us feel old. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, that's interesting, too. Well, uh, good for them, and they did very well. Um, but yeah, anyway, so there was a um, sort of a, a bit more drama in the voting. So I guess you can't have one without the other. It's going to be lengthy if you do it separately, but you also get a little bit more fun and drama from having it split. And it's interesting to see the differences between the jury yeah. votes and the... Um, the call-in votes. And we had some interesting p- points, uh, moments during the uh, points. So the classic, uh, Greece gave um, Cyprus 12 points. Boo! Cyprus gave Greece 12 points. Boo! 
Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I never like to hear booing. It makes me very uncomfortable. But I kind of like that they're being called out yeah. for it because, you know, stop. I, you know, it's it's not going unnoticed. Um, It's clearly reciprocal. Yeah. Just like vote fairly. That's. I think it is. I mean, vote fairly and you won't get booed. I think it is the only really true bit of reciprocal voting in Eurovision, Greece and Cyprus. Do you? I think there's countries that have habits of awarding music that is culturally similar to what they listen to. And that makes sense. Yes. But what Greece sent wasn't a very Greek sounding song. What Cyprus sent wasn't a very Cyprus sounding song. They just awarded their points to each other. I do agree. So for instance, I mean, like there are certain countries I have watched only a handful of Eurovisions, but I tend to um, enjoy uh, songs that come from the Netherlands, I have noticed, you know, not always my top song. But I mean, I guess maybe the um, the like aesthetic from the Netherlands is one that like appeals to my tastes, you know, from a musical perspective. And so, you know, fair enough. But uh, when I didn't like the Netherlands song, I didn't vote them in my top just because just because they're the Netherlands do you know what I mean it's like so I get that maybe tastes run in a certain direction that are closer to some countries than others and fair enough but um when it's every single time and it's both countries giving the points back to each other like I mean that's not just a matter of taste you don't happen to love that song the best every single year for decades on end you know (laughs) it's um blatant yeah, it is blatant. You're right. Um, so that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah. And um, there's another point I want to uh, address. Uh, uh, this is a more funny that? one. Uh, when the uh, Latvian uh, spokesperson called Salvador a pop idol, and they cut to Salvador, who was not happy. You they, you <gasps> could hear what he was saying, but you could read his lips so easily. He was saying pop, 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 <laughs> not pop. Oh, no. He wasn't impressed about that. <laughs> I didn't see that, but that's uh, that is interesting. Um, and then the other the other one that I noted that um, that uh, was uh, notable was uh, Israel. Oh, putting a bit of a downer when- on the situation. I know, I know, but that was very touching to have them, you know, saying goodbye after 44 years. And it seems that the hosts were unaware that it looked to me at least like this was un- an unexpected announcement. So, um, yeah, I felt like that was uh, an yeah. emotional moment. Spoiler alert, they were back for next year. Oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, basically, it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what it actually was is that the Israeli public broadcaster was splitting their broadcast into two, their, their sort of stations in two, basically, and their operations into two. And the uh, broadcaster who had shown it um, was going to cease to exist. However, the following year, um, that same public broadcaster, but split into two distinct kind of, not personalities, but, you know, I don't know what to call it, uh, two sort of separate parts, uh, one yeah. um, had Eurovision for the following year, um, and they sent somebody who was in the Eurovision film following year. Yeah, oh, okay. in the song along. Okay, but you're not. I'm gonna not going to spoil who it was. was. No, uh, okay. but yeah. So they well, went back I next mean, year, I but it was a bit of a downer. <laughs> I know, but like, I don't mind, I don't mind an emotional goodbye, although it's less impactful now that I know that it was uh, for nothing. But <laughs> I feel like I need a Debbie but, Downer uh, music on here from SNL now. 
Um, But yeah, I think that that was like, that's sort of it for the points that I wanted to raise. But all in all, I enjoyed this Eurovision immensely. Uh, We've already discussed uh, Salvador's victory speech. Music is not fireworks. Music is feelings. And sometimes it is feelings, but sometimes it is also fireworks. I know it can be both, Salvador. Just don't feel the fireworks. Do not feel the fireworks. They're very hot. Okay, well, another good one in the books. I, uh, I'm i excited to uh, to hear what we have coming up for our next episode. What year will we be doing so, next? So uh, the next time we'll be in my home country, the UK, Ooh. for Eurovision 1998. 98. I'm looking forward to a 90s vibe. I we've, We have done 80s. We've done lots of the aughts, but um, this will be our first 90s year, yes. right? Yes, um, the, the year... My formative years. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, that is very exciting. So um, we'll be back in two weeks to talk 1998. So uh, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to discuss the latest Eurovision 2021 news. Oh, can't wait. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We do hope you're enjoying the show so far and we appreciate every listener. We'd love it if you could join us on our social media channels. We can be found on Twitter at thinkabouteuro, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thinkabouteurovision, and also our website thinkabouteuro.vision. Also, if you listen to the podcast using Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you could take a few minutes of your time and leave us a review and a rating. And also, please do recommend the podcast to any friends who also love Eurovision as much as you. With all that in mind, thank you so much for listening. Back to the podcast. Right then, so it's a new Eurovision year. Started the 1st of September. This is when we get the slow drip feed of news this time of year. So we've had our first uh, press conference with details about 2021. And the good news is we're being guaranteed Eurovision next year. Yay! So, the EBU and the host nation have four plans. So, there's four ways it could happen. So, scenario okay. A, the a normal Eurovision Song Contest, nothing changes. So, we have all the artists there for all nine shows, including the dress rehearsals, in a packed venue with delegations and artists from all around um, Europe and Australia. That seems unlikely. Yeah, this does depend on a mass rollout of a vaccine for COVID-19. Right. <laughs> or the availability yeah. of, uh, of reliable testing. So we would all love that. I think the chances are 10%, if that high, if even that high. Yeah, I feel... Uh... Yeah. Our, our, our next scenario is scenario B. I think this is most likely, to be fair, if countries get control of the virus. So scenario B is a socially distant Eurovision Song Contest. So everyone sort of one and a half metres from each other at all times, or, you know, possibly, you know, rather than being stood up in the arena, maybe they'll go for like cabaret seating, you know, tables. So that way they can make sure yeah. everybody's separate, separated from each other. It That way it also fills out the uh, venue a bit more with cabaret style seating. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all the artists there, in the venue. Now, there is okay. some 
going to be some bad news for some people who have bought tickets because everyone who bought tickets for the show this year is if they want, their ticket rolls over for next year. But if they do this scenario B, some people are going to be, they're going to pop everyone's tickets basically into a draw. Yeah. And it's going to be a look mm. of a draw to see if you get a place. So the, the worst yeah, thing about that, I think, is there's going to be some unhappy people right. possibly going I, without their friends and, you know, their friends stuck back in their home country watching on TV. Yeah, that would be logistically, that would be challenging. I mean, like, what if the, you know, ticket of a single person is drawn and none of the people that that they intended to go with are drawn? You, I don't know. You know, choice, like, well, I've got a Eurovision ticket. Do I go and have the time of my life or do I just stay <laughs> with my right. friends and watch from our living room? Right. Um, Yeah, I feel like logistically that might be challenging, although I think that that is a much more likely scenario than scenario A. Yeah. So scenario C, a Eurovision Song Contest with travel restrictions. So scenario C will still have audiences socially distanced in the arena. But if any delegations who can't travel to Rotterdam because of their government's, their their home country's restrictions on travel, they will be um, performing in their own country but it will be sort of, you know, introduced from the Ahoy Arena in Rotterdam. So that's scenario C, mm. which is also, I think, very likely. So some performers would be live, but some would be via, like, video. video. Or maybe satellite link. I would say I would say they still have to be live in my head. We haven't specified this, but my yeah. sort of head, the way in my head that this would work out, it would be satellite link. You know, um, so we still is it still satellite link? It's probably just sent over the internet by now. That's my nineties sort of child upbringing. It was all by the satellite I mean, link. I, I didn't bat an eye. <laughs> I was like, yes, satellite. Yes. Obviously, I mean, internet's yep. probably faster now. But um, you know, it'll be sent sort of live, but performed live from their country, and the yeah. opening and the interval acts still performed live in the venue. Right. I think okay. B and C are the most likely, but then we go to the one we really don't want. Scenario D, which is a Eurovision Song Contest in lockdown. So that would be every country streaming in from their home country. No audience in the arena, but the hosts in the arena, this massive cavernous arena. Obviously won't be sort of filming like long shots showing how big it is or probably, you know, getting up in close. Mm-hmm. So it'll be, it'll be very much like the Junior Eurovision Song Contest in November. Now, I don't want yeah. that, but... The thing to say is, I might not want that, but the thing I want more than anything is Eurovision to happen next year. So if that's what we get next year, so be it. At least we get Eurovision. That's right. I mean, even Scenario D is better than nothing. And, um, you know, not wanting to be a downer, but I do think that Scenario D is somewhat likely. Although, who knows where we're going to be at, uh, you know, at the point in 2021 when this would uh, be happening, hopefully in much better shape than we currently are. Um, but I think that scenario D is a very distinct possibility. Um, so if that is what we get, then I think it could still be great. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So better than nothing, we'll take it. If it's that or no Eurovision at all, then like, let's yeah, do it. I mean, <laughs> it's already been one year without a Eurovision Song Contest. That's one year too many. Right. Yeah. Well, this is very exciting news that, like, one way or another, it is happening in 2021. Yep. And a few other little bits of information that was sort of drip-fed. Uh, they're keeping the slogan, which is Open Up. Now, Open Up, in, you know, for this year, before COVID-19, it was a fine slogan. But I think for next yeah. year, it really works. 
Yeah, it does. It, hey? it seems more apt for, than it is for this year. Right. So I think there's some niceness there. And the logo, they're keeping largely the same. Uh, the logo, I don't know if you've seen it, but the logo this year is like um, a circle with like segments that rep- represent the flags of the competing countries. So they're going to update it to all the competing countries for next year, you know, because there might be changes. And they said they're going to make sure. it a bit more relevant for 2021. I don't know what changes it's going to be. It's going to be subtle, stylistic changes. Uh, I'm sure. not that um, stylistically minded, so I probably won't even notice. But I thought I would just make it, mention it there because that's the news we've had. Well, that is great news. Yeah. Thank you for the update, Chris. We'll uh, we'll stay um, posted on what the decisions may be in the coming months about what it's going to look like. But at the very least, we're going to have something. Yes. And we'll be able to talk about it on a podcast when we get to there. Yeah. Right then. So that's all the Eurovision news. Um, so we'll have another little break um, and we will talk about some kind of this drag race after the theme tune. So once again, uh, next time we'll be discussing the 1998 Eurovision Song Contest from Birmingham in the UK. Perfect. Right, then. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Bye. Bye. La 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 Right, so we've finally reached the end of Canada's Drag Race. We have. It's been a really good show. I've really enjoyed it. Um, the energy on all these uh, new versions of Drag Race, like the spin-offs, so the UK, um, Canada, and also I started watching Holland's Drag Race, so Drag Race Holland. Um, that, that's uh, now on World of Wonder, uh, the World of Wonder Plus app. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen Ho- uh, Drag Race Holland at all. I no, have not. But, uh, like the UK's Drag Race and Canada's Drag Race, they've just, these three all have this really great energy. Um, and I've, I've realised what it is I liked about it. I think the queens on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race in America, somewhat, and uh, not all of them, but some are just like, well, it's my turn to be on Drag Race now. Right. I get that feeling. Whereas the queens in these countries are just like, we've got Drag Race. Yes, let's grab it whilst we've got it because we don't know how long we're going to have the show for. Yeah, it's true. I think that there is like a level of excitement and earnestness that um, comes from having this opportunity for the first time. And they, you know, are probably unsure of whether they will continue to have it uh, on a go forward basis. Whereas in the US, like the the American version, it's such uh, like a... I don't know, like an industry now. Yeah. It's like, you know that it's going to be coming. They have had 12 seasons. There's not, there's no signs of stopping. No. So, um, so yeah, I get that for sure. I also think what comes with that though, at least in the case of Canada's Drag Race, in my opinion, is that it comes with some less, um, you know, seasonality in the Queens. Like they are a little less seasoned than, you know, the real, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just Canada's Drag Race that I found like in the beginning, they seemed quite amateur. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the great things about Drag Race is that the queens have an opportunity to have feedback, to grow, to change. And I really, really saw that throughout the show. Not w- not only with the queens themselves, but with the show itself. I didn't like 
you know, some of the some of the uh, contests, like I didn't like what some of the competitions were in the earlier episodes of the show. Um, and, you know, everything just elevated for me as the season went yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember you saying you don't like, like, um, the challenges being repeated, do you? Right, yeah. With, with like, the exception, I think, the Snatch Game. I think the Snatch Game is such an iconic bit of drag race. I right. think it's fine for any country to do the Snatch Game. Uh, but, I mean, one thing I didn't like about... Uh, just to get sidetracked on Drag Race Holland, the photo challenge, they had to dive into a pool of water and then be photographed, you know, through the pool. Wait, we've, we've seen, seen it. it. It was nothing new. So I didn't like that on yeah. um, Drag Race Holland, but, you know, that's a different conversation to have. Um, but I, I, I'm I, a bit more aware of it after you pointed it out. Yeah, and then the other thing that I didn't really like, which was very in your face at the beginning and became less so as the season went on, was like all of the Canadian cliches and like, it doesn't all have to be beavers and plaid and you know what I mean? It's like, like the competitions don't have to revolve around the Canadian-ness of it. Like the one challenge that I really disliked was the part of our heritage one, which as a Canadian, I mean, part of our heritage commercials are a very very uh sort of i don't know like it's a real niche uh like point to be making that as a canadian i was like oh i get that but it wasn't a fun challenge like just because it's canadian doesn't mean that like every single challenge needs to be you know a part of canadian culture just like have it be drag race with canadians i mean one thing i hope for when we get uh drag race uk uh series two is RuPaul and Michelle stopped trying to talk in Cockney accents because <laughs> they did it constantly. Yeah, Especially, fair. Uh, RuPaul can say one thing in an Essex accent, uh, which is a place um, east of London. It's like he just yeah. goes, "You are, mate," and that's the only thing he can say in a in an English accent. Right. And it's just like he just does it all the time. I'm like, "All right, Ru, we've heard it. Go sit down, have a nap." <laughs> Right. Um, but yeah, they kind of like gave up. Uh, they, they, you know, got away from the really kind of like in your face Canadianisms yeah. as the season went on. And then it just became about the challenges and about the queens. And like, it was just a little bit less annoying to me. Um, so yeah, it got better and better with every episode. And then this finale, I was surprised yeah. by this ending. So Priyanka is our Yay. winner. And what did you think about that? I'm really happy with that. I think that's a really good winner to have. It had to be between, um, between in the top three, it had to be between uh, Priyanka and um, Rita Bagger. Rita Bagger. Scarlet yeah, Bobo. I, agree. I I still don't think she should have been a finalist, but I don't make, I, I don't uh, judge on Canada's drag race. So I have no input <laughs> on that. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I was <laughs> well, overlooked I am, uh, as a guest host. I'm like, why would they not choose us, Chris? <laughs> Give us an opportunity. Um, I was very surprised that Priyanka was the winner. I'm not disappointed. Priyanka was my favorite of the three. Um, but based on report card, like the winner should have been Rita Bega. Yeah. If you base it simply on how they um, did in their in their challenges. But what Priyanka has that Rita Bega did not is this like, I don't know. um, She just emanates 
positivity and uh she she's so likable and i mean rita vega was um you know a very talented queen i liked her well enough but she didn't exude personality i, I think she... um rita Baga has uniqueness and talent yes but priyanka has charisma uniqueness nerve and talent Right. I mean, she's uh, she's not as talented as Rita Vega in some aspects. Don't do improv no. anymore. Priyanka, you have shown that that is not a strong suit of yours. But I mean, uh, like in the same way that not every queen can have every single challenge go their way. It can't be expected. You know, look, queens aren't all comedians. Not every queen's going to be Bianca Del Rio. Exactly. And even Bianca Del Rio, I mean, she's not a looks queen. She's, you know, like... I mean, she has, she is a look queen. She has one look and she yeah, sticks to it. She has a look. Yeah. But in, in any case, I mean, like, yeah, Priyanka brings a lot to the table. It was um, a, a curveball for sure. But it's clear that I think that the judges based it more on just report card and looked at the whole package, including personality and, you know, how how they might, you know, bring their charisma to the title of the first yeah. Canada's Drag and, Race. Yeah. I mean, out of all three of the uh, finalists, uh, runway looks, the only one I can remember is Priyanka. Yes. I can't remember what Scarlet yeah, Bobo mean, or Rita Bago wore at all. It's just... No, I mean, me either come yeah. to think of it. And that says something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm not at all uh, unhappy with the way that this shook out. In fact, I am pleasantly surprised because I would have bet money that Rita Bega would have been the, the winner. Yeah, same. But I'm surprised and delighted. Yes. Still think Jimbo was uh, robbed. Well, <laughs> fair. <laughs> Maybe they'll do a Canada's All-Stars and Jimbo can be can. I want back. international All-Stars. That's one thing I really want from all these... That's a great idea. I want. Uh, we've recently started watching uh, Drag Race Thailand as well, um, which is on uh, Wow Presents Plus. Um, which, if anyone from Wow Presents Plus is listening to this podcast because you're an obsessive about Eurovision, your app sucks. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it's really bad. Um, but there's some really great content on there, so it's worth sticking with it despite the app being buggy. Um, so it's Good got to know. Canada's Drag Race. Uh, no, we have Canada's Drag Race on iPlayer in the UK. But for territories, for the UK and Canada, it's on your public broadcasters. Everywhere else, it's on Wild Presents Plus. It's got, um, it depends on the country you're in. Uh, Drag Race Holland is on there for us. Um, Drag Race Thailand Season 2 is on there. Um, so yeah, we're now watching uh, Drag Race Thailand Season 2 and Drag Race Holland every Saturday morning. Because when we usually watch Drag Race, because uh, yeah. we're broadcasting on, on a Friday in America. So Saturday mornings during Drag Race season, we watch it on a Saturday morning. So we're keeping some routine well, there. Well, there is uh, no shortage of Drag Race uh, to be watched. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to get on maybe Holland's Drag Race uh, to fill my void because now with Canada's Drag Race done, with All Stars done, I mean, I gotta fill, I gotta fill the gap. Uh, so I'll have to check it out. Yeah. But I will definitely be watching Canada's Drag Race. Season two, when it comes out, um, I am, I'm in. I am a Canada's Drag Race fan. Bring me yeah. more. Right then. Shall we leave it there? I think we shall. Well, thanks for another good chat, Chris. This has been fun. Yeah. So uh, 
just in case you've forgotten, next time we'll be discussing uh, the 1998 Eurovision Song Contest from uh, Birmingham in the UK. Can't wait. Speak soon. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. La 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 la